This is Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From the UK, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from New Zealand is Dave Wood. Don't think I've had quite enough sleep last night. What, just couldn't get off to sleep? Or? Yeah, yeah, I, I made the rookie mistake of too much coffee in the afternoon while I was coding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, sympathy is um, limited then in that case. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah totally, <laughs> self-inflicted. Uh, the the irony being that I'm now having coffee to offset the damage from the coffee to, yeah, it's a circle, right? <laughs> does that actually affect you then like that? Yeah, yeah, it really Just does. It in the afternoon? I'm totally oh. that sensitive. Wow. Yeah. Um, I remember reading that coffee has um, a half-life that can be quite long. Yeah, so in, in, in some people it can be as long as like eight hours later, you still have half as much of it in your bloodstream doing what it does yeah i think i read six hours once so maybe eight would be about right if you are sensitive to it yeah 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 and so it's that yeah, whole i mean i normally a coffee at two o'clock you know for me is is probably still going to be like affecting me at, at 10 o'clock at night yeah i mean i quite often have one when i get in from work at like five or six um right doesn't seem to affect me i don't think then who knows if i stop doing it maybe i'll sleep loads better um <laughs> Because there have been a couple of nights this week where I've been sort of lied out on the sofa watching, we're watching the American Office at the moment on Amazon. Okay, That's yeah. like the thing we're watching. Yeah. And I'll be watching it. They're only like 20 minutes per episode. We watch one and have all go, do you want to watch another one? I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll watch another one. And then I'll start getting really sleepy and sort of miss the half of the second one. And I think it's just that, 10 minutes where I doze on the sofa that then almost resets my sleepiness so when it's actually time to go to bed I get into bed and I'm just lying there like well I'm awake now I'm kind of ready to go that little cat nap was was enough right so I need to stop doing that I think and maybe just go to bed when I feel tired versus sleeping on the sofa and go bed the first time sort of thing yeah it's like I need to wait for the second wave of tiredness to hit and that could be like another hour or more right if I'm just lying there in bed and then you get frustrated and then it's like now I have six hours and 55 minutes until my alarm goes off and you start counting it down. And that is just, yeah, once you get into that stage, I find it's kind of, you can't really recover from that very well. The next day is just going to be bad when you wake up. It's kind of game over at that point if I hit that point myself. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. use um, an app uh, for setting an alarm that kind of, it, um, it's called Sleep Cycle. And the idea of it is that it, it uh, listens through the microphone while you're asleep for sort of um, peaks and troughs of noise. And it uses right. that to calibrate itself uh, to your uh, kind of sleep cycle. And the idea is that it then, you set an alarm, but you, you have a half hour window. And that half hour window is so that the app can then wake you up at sort of the optimal time for your sleep cycle. What, so you don't feel rubbish when you wake up? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that oh. it kind of works like it's it's at its best um with i set it to a half hour window i think it's probably better with a 40 40 minute window but i don't right. always want to allow 40 minutes from when i'm supposed to be up either uh, <laughs> yeah despite that sort of promise of it being a better wake up time there's part of me that's just like no no i can't actually face being up at, at like you know, that much earlier sort of thing, that 10 minutes sort of seems pivotal. So maybe I'm not quite using it right, but... Because, what, 40 minutes, that's... Let's say you wake up at the earliest of that 40-minute window. Yeah. That's a big... That's a, quite a big proportion of your night's sleep, isn't it, when you think about it? It in is. In terms of minutes. Yeah, and I guess the logic is is that that's, that's rubbish sleep anyway. And, and you, what? you know, you're better off actually kind of being closer to where the cycle is, and then that, that would leave you waking up. Uh, feeling sort of less uh less groggy mm. yeah. uh, i tried napping in the afternoon the other day on a day off that was um yeah i regretted that so much afterwards i just couldn't bring myself to being awake again properly it felt like you know when you wake up in the morning after rubbish like a rubbish night's sleep you just feel groggy and yeah. slow and grumpy but it's like that all over again. I was like, oh, I'm not doing this again. This is, this is a terrible idea. Um, maybe I slept too long. Or I, I don't know. But See, Heather can do it. Heather can just like nap for like 10, 20 minutes and wake up and be like, oh, good. I'm now 
you're almost just like topping up a fuel tank. It's like I'm now topped up by 20 minutes, whereas I wake up after 20 minutes like, oh, I feel terrible. And yeah. I spend the next hour and a half coming out of that state. And then it's kind of like, well, I wish I hadn't bothered now. I'm closer to you. Uh, yeah. That one, yeah. Yeah, very much. I end up sort of being like, oh, no, I either should have gone bed for good, you know, and just had a really, really long night's sleep, or I just shouldn't have bothered. Haven't um, Apple recently bought some kind of sleep company? I think they do this thing which is almost like, I haven't actually seen the product, but the way I envisage it is like a kind of, imagine like an electric blanket, but rather than it being full of heating elements that heat up to warm your bed up, it's actually like full of sensors. Okay. That can more accurately measure when you are actually asleep versus something you know, like when you get apps where you put your phone under your pillow, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the idea is, is that it's, it does that really, really well. So obviously it's got sensors basically all up and down the bed so it can detect movement. It can, I don't know if it can detect things like heart rate or um, sort of breathing patterns. Okay. But apparently it can very accurately detect like when you are actually asleep and give you sort of progress throughout the night. Um, so that'd be interesting to see if that, you know, it could just be an acquisition that, you know, nothing ever comes of it for, for ages, but I guess something mm. might do someday soon. Something based around that. I mean, that could have been a sort of aquihire uh, kind of venture, right? So then they've got that expertise and then they can reapply it to something else as well. Possibly, yeah. Uh, because you see the Apple Watch, um, you know, different apps. I think David Smith does one. Um, is it Sleep Plus Plus or something? Yeah. Um, where the idea is you wear your Apple Watch to bed and then like you sort of quickly charge it in the morning maybe when you're getting ready and having a shower and by that time the watch is you know, a relatively small battery so it would have charged. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe Apple, that's Apple's nod to like, no, 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 We if you're going to be wearing the watch overnight or we'd rather you didn't wear the watch overnight maybe and we want to have something actually in the bed to, to help. And it would fit, I guess, with their strategy because you keep hearing sort of sound bites from Tim Cook saying our greatest contribution is going to be health. Yes. Or to, you know, in, in the health industry. So I guess it would fit with their, their vision in that sense. Yeah, it, um, it would. Certainly with uh, with more wearables and that end of stuff as well. It's, it doesn't have to be something that is uh, as, as directly sort of computing enabled as, as a phone. They are making more, yeah. more specific things. Yeah, just, yeah, I guess all that data that comes from the the bed sheet do you reckon i call it like apple sheet or something <laughs> yeah the bed sheet with all the sensors in it i guess that could feed right back into health kit and and you know all, all that good stuff so and sleep is a huge part of your health really when you think about it yeah like if you don't get good sleep the consequences in the short term and the long term are quite you know serious aren't they yep um yeah they are so yeah yeah it's always something i've wondered about whether i should maybe get one of those apps or something but i don't know Especially at the moment, like just any sleep is is good. So, um, <laughs> like if Oliver decides at half past three to have a screaming match, then uh, yeah, that's not so good. Oh. So maybe now, now's not the time for that. <laughs> choice of parenthood. Speaking of sleep and caffeination, though, how have things gone with your Aeropress? Uh, okay, I'm not entirely sure about the metal filter that I've ordered. Um, I should back up, actually, shouldn't I? I ran out of paper filters on my AeroPress and I thought, no problem, I'll go to Amazon and I'll buy some more. Turns out they've gone really expensive. So I kind of brooded for a night or two, being like, oh, stupid paper AeroPress filters, gone expensive, I don't want to pay that much for them. Even though, in the scheme of things, they're not that expensive. In the end, I thought, oh, I just got to suck it up. And I ordered, um, I was going to order like a three pack for £15, which wasn't too bad. And... It had Prime on it, which so I thought, great, next day delivery, click, order, fair enough, it's from a third-party seller, but whatever. Then it said, oh, we can deliver it in like 10 days. Oh, 10 days is no good. I've, I'm down to like four paper filters now. <laughs> like it's, it's, getting, it's getting pretty desperate, I've got, I've got to be honest. Um, so I was like, this is um, this is terrible. Um, I looked at some sort of third-party paper filters um, but the reviews seemed a bit mixed on them. So, like, the official AeroPress ones, generally solid reviews. I mean, I, it sounds kind of crazy. I mean, it's just a little sheet of paper that's been cut into a circle. And, you know, how, how bad or good can that be? But it turns out there's quite a difference in quality. The AeroPress ones yeah. tend to get positive reviews. You go down the third-party route, um, and then you've got the issue of bleached versus unbleached. 
and then you've got the issue of too big or too small to fit in the AeroPress filter cap. Yeah. So probably the thickness and stuff like that as well, because that'll affect how much of the oils and this and the other it traps from the coffee. Yeah, that's some of the more um, discerning review as well, even sort of reviews to that extent. Yeah, don't buy this filter. It leaves a funny sort of papery taste to the coffee. Or, <laughs> but the biggest thing for me was like, well, if it's too big or it's too small, that's going to make an issue. Because some people said, oh, the ones that are too small, um, it's sometimes you end up getting like a few bits of grounds that find their way through mm-hmm. into the cup. I was like, oh, I don't really want that. So I thought, well, I've got to, I've got to do something. And I thought, I know what, I'll just order one of those metal filters that you can put in like the reusable washable ones and yeah i mean it is six pounds i thought well it's six pounds and it's prime delivery and it'll be here in one day so i just i just ordered it. it's turned up today right um i'm not sure what i think of it yet the coffee tasted noticeably different okay but i don't i don't know whether that was to do with i bear in mind i've only made one cup and i was kind of distracted when i made it because charlie had all of his tractors out and he insisted that i sort of look at each one in great detail and i lost count of how um how long i had it brewing for yeah so i normally like to get it at around three minutes that's kind of my personal preference and it tasted like i'd maybe gone over that a bit almost like you know that kind of oily taste you get from a cafetiere like a yep. thick oily coffee it was kind of bordering towards that um so I don't know whether it was me sort of overbrewing it or whether it was, as some of the reviewers say, that the metal filter, because it isn't paper, it can let through some of the oils into the cup that perhaps you wouldn't want in there. I suspect that's probably the case. I mean, if you think about it, it's closer to a cafeteria in terms of how it's working and what it's doing, I guess. That's right, yeah. Um but then I thought, well, hang on, don't espresso machines basically do the same thing? Like, you don't put paper filters in an espresso machine, they'll get blown to pieces, wouldn't they? Yeah, but the um, the mechanism that it forces the water and the coffee through um, is is very tiny holes. And and so there's, there's a lot more pressure involved as well. So it's about that quick kind of burst of pressure up against that mechanism, whereas a, a cafeteria... There's not really any of that. There's no pressure involved, and and it's literally just a, um, like a sieve to stop the coffee grounds from getting through, right? So I guess it depends on on how close this mechanism is to to either one of those, and and you're not going to be putting as much pressure through the aeropress as you would do through through an espresso machine, I guess. Yeah, because some of the again, I guess it depends on what espresso machine you got, because you can get pressurized and unpressurized baskets. Yeah. So the pressurized ones. It, kind of like where the the basket has a very small opening that allows the coffee to escape, which creates the pressure. Whereas the unpressurized ones, you're almost relying on you tamping the espresso into the basket. Yeah. Um, yeah, t- tamping the coffee into the into the basket. And then the water getting through that coffee creates the pressure. So there's almost like the... The grounds yeah, themselves. That is that, the grounds themselves create the pressure. Yeah. And you can kind of get open baskets, which is kind of similar, I guess, to what I've got with this metal filter in that you've just got, you know, the coffee will just come out of a metal filter at the bottom of it. And then that way you can kind of tell, did I do the tamping right? Are there any sort of like leaky bits through the coffee? Is there like, really, you should have the coffee coming through in the center of the the basket, yep. sort of in a, in a nice sort of, almost like turning on a tap. Whereas if you've got lots of sp- sort of sprays of coffee coming out from various parts you probably had some weak spots in the in the coffee in the basket so on that basis i guess that would be similar to what i've got with the aeropress but just i'm working at a lower pressure yeah um so i don't know i'll have to report back um i think maybe i need to pay more attention next time i do it i mean i didn't dislike the taste again that was another thing with the reviews some reviewers like oh yeah it's great because it lets oil through and you can taste it. And then other people are like, oh, it's terrible because it lets oil through and you can taste it. <laughs> so, so it's like, oh, it's subjective then, surely at that point. Some people... Personal preference. I guess the oils make it more bitter. Yeah. Um, And I'm quite partial to a bitter cup of coffee. I, I kind of take the view that some coffee, you know, certain coffees are quite bitter anyway, so like embrace the bitterness. Like If you want, if you want something sweet, drink a milkshake or something. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Um, what are you doing for coffee at the minute? Have you got that espresso machine or did that? Yeah, we've got a really basic, uh, like, DeLonghi espresso machine. 
Um, yeah, I remember you buying it in the UK, didn't you? No, so I bought, I've had one um, in the UK and I brought that across and that was um, DeLonghi Dedica or something like that. It's a, mm. um, I can picture the one you mean. Yeah, it's a slimline sort of model and we, we bought it specifically yeah. because we were kind of filling up the, the kitchen worktop space as well. And if, you know, if I'm going to have a, a espresso machine, it needs to sort of fit. And that didn't really survive the uh, the trip. We when mm-hmm. that came off the boats, I think I managed maybe about three months or so um, at most before it sort of went bang. Uh, a part kind of wore out, and I suspect it was to do with with how it travelled. Um, and it's become one of those things where I could probably fix it, and I tried to have a go at fixing it, but getting hold of exactly the right part. And being 100% that that was exactly the part that needed to be replaced as well because there were a few bits that looked a bit bit rough inside there. Um, right. Cheap coffee machine, it's going to be the case. Um, that, that sort of came a, became a bit prohibitive. So I've still got it in a box. It's been one of those sort of I'll get around to it kind of projects. And then in the meantime, we picked up a cheap one uh, that was, was on offer here. Uh, so it's probably same a thing or similar. Been. Similar. Um, it's probably maybe two thirds of the the cost of the first one, and in terms right. of proportion of of like quality or whatever as well. Um, and it gives a a reasonable cup of coffee, but it doesn't have quite as many features. The other one had a, a sort of um, like you could just press it and it timed its shots itself. Um, okay. for better or worse, that that was um, that was actually quite nice because you could just kind of set it up, uh, press the button, go and grab something or, or whatever else you're making the coffee with, and you know it would just deliver the shot into the shot glass or the cup. And this one um, is more like a regular machine where you control the the um, you control the draw through it. So you can't just walk away. You have to sort of turn it back off after it's um, after it started. So do you have to wait for it to go blonde and then kind of judge it and yeah. turn it off at that point? Yeah, I mean, I, I just let it pour into the cup and I've, I've got kind of a an eye for where I want it to go up to and that's about it, really. Uh, it, uh-huh. it does the job. And I, I don't know, we've, we've discovered a few things since coming over here is that things with a, a high current draw are potentially not supposed to be run on our New Zealand electrics. <laughs> so I don't know if I told you about the tumble dryer. I think I saw a tweet about it, perhaps, when when it was unfolding. <laughs> yeah, so long story short, our electrics and, and most electrics on an average circuit in a New Zealand household um, are built around being a, a 10 amp max. And 10 amps on 240 volts will get you a max draw of 2,400 watts. And our tumble dryer was plugged into a converter plug from a UK socket to a New Zealand one. And it turns out that has a max draw of uh, 2,700 watts. So what had happened is is that it, it had fried the converter plug. It had melted that plug as it had heated up. And this is just us not thinking it through. You know, it's got a converter plug. It plugs in. It's the same voltage. Um, it works. Move on. And yeah. no, that, that, is, that is a problem. And, and, and actually, as I put two and two together now, I understand this a lot better. This is why you don't get plugs with, um, with fuses inside them in the same way here. So in the UK, we, we get plugs with fuses inside of them. You get 13 amp fuses for things with a high draw. Uh, the plugs here are, are built around that it's going to be a, a, a 10 amp drawer at max, and they don't need those fuses. Uh, they're, they're built to fail in, in a, a different way. So that was a lucky escape. Uh, and I guess what happened with the uh, the tumble dryer there is that normally it wasn't hitting max draw, and we got away with it. And then it yeah, was only when I, time. Yeah, I overloaded it with some towels, and then the next day it didn't turn on. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we were we were lucky, um, and I, I I was pretty thankful that the only thing that happened there was that the plug got melted and everything else worked as it should. You know, the RCD unit in the house tripped out, 
yeah. everything else was was as it should and we didn't have a fire or anything so we, we were lucky but yeah so i wonder long story short i wonder if the coffee machine might have been a, a similar thing yeah i mean that's gonna ramp up and need loads of draw in in that sudden, moment yeah yeah uh, and, and for the same reason you shouldn't be running a uk kettle with a, a fast a fast uh, boil mechanism here either it, it will do the same thing yeah. So I guess slowly but surely you're going to just phase out the UK stuff with New Zealand stuff, I suppose, wouldn't you? Yeah, and we, we've done that with it a lot like of things. Sounds like you already have. Yeah, yeah. So we've done yeah. that with most things. A um, couple of dubious items still. There's there's a hair dryer that I'm pretty sure probably shouldn't be being used, but it is. Um, it's only ever used for very very short bursts of time. Yeah, uh, and we'll we'll replace that probably pretty soon. To be honest with you, it's just. The, the point with a lot of this stuff is that as you try and kit out an entire house, you don't, when you first, when we first landed at least, uh, we couldn't really have gotten away with replacing absolutely everything up front. Uh, we kind of needed to do things more over time. Uh, so I'm just glad that for the most part, most electronics, you know, it's not a thing. You put a, you, you change the plug or whatever on your TV. It doesn't draw that much um, juice through it, so it's absolutely fine. It's interesting, actually. I've been, um, you know, I said I was watching Lewis Rossman on YouTube last week, the guy who repairs the MacBook yep. boards and stuff. He's got a playlist on his channel called uh, like a guide to basic electronics, and it kind of dawned on me that actually, given that I'm into computers and anything that has a current going through it, I couldn't tell you the difference between what's Bolts, amps, anything like that. Yep. And only really in the last few days I've been watching his videos where he explains like what's a volt and what's an amp kind of thing. That um yeah, I'm actually kind of able to understand what you were just saying then because <laughs> had I not watched it, I'd have probably been sat going, Oh yeah, 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 and not actually understanding what on earth you mean, other than just knowing that UK and New Zealand stuff maybe doesn't mix all the time. But yeah. It's um yeah. It's interesting to, to actually learn a bit about it. It's kind of constantly feeling inspired now to pick up a soldering iron and try and fix something that's broken, but I don't actually have anything that's broken to try and fix, and I'd probably make it more broken at this point, so <laughs> probably just as well. You're totally um, planning on having a go at that MacBook once you've upgraded. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%, because if I can breathe some life back into it and you know the dedicated GPU can start working again, that's great. Um can keep it around maybe it can be useful speaking of mac hardware you've bought something not quite well i've almost bought something i've i've ordered something oh you've ordered something okay yeah so slightly different um i'll have to pay on the day when i go to pick it up but yeah oh i see i see okay yeah but anyway long long story short yes i've got a new mac on its way to me uh so i think last week we talked about uh, the fact that my 2013 uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro is kind of long in the tooth in terms of the uh, Swift compilation times and that uh-huh. sort of stuff that I've got going on. So, I mean, like for most other uses, it's a great machine. Uh, but I use it, when I'm at home, I use it for working on my own apps and hitting that run button and then waiting and waiting and waiting is driving me mad. If I if I do anything other than like a light update to a couple of files, anything that impacts a few things, um, it, it can take a good I don't know three or four minutes. Uh, really? De- yeah, depending on the project as well. Um, yeah, and as soon as I bring in certain other dependencies that I'm quite fond of having as well, then that can just sort of escalate a little bit. So I'm not getting very rapid sort of turnaround on being able to just sort of try this, hit run, test. Yeah, even when I'm using the simulator, it's uh, like simulator or on devices, it's just slow. So, and I'm aware as well that after a point, this is just a thing. There are things I can do that may well sort of speed up the project time or whatever. But yeah, part of this is just that it is an older machine now. And I'm feeling it when I do do other things as well. Uh, even editing the, the podcast here or there, it, it can feel a little bit slow. And I mean, like, I don't really feel it until the export. It's not so bad on I the was say, edit. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's um, the thing I've noticed. Ditching the iMac, going to back to the 2010 MacBook Pro, is that when I do the export of, from GarageBand for this show, it takes way longer than I expected to. <laughs> I yep. still haven't gotten used to how long it takes. So yeah, I guess you're feeling the same. So there's a point here where it's like, okay, I'm feeling all of this grind every time I'm coming to use the machine. And actually it gets to a point where uh, uh, yesterday was, was Sunday here and I had a good chunk of the time to just work on my own stuff. Tappy was taking the kids out. I could, I was just going to work and, and have a go um, sort of doing some final bits on my uh, theremin app. And part of me hit this sort of brick wall where I was kind of thinking, yeah, that's great, but that's going to be such a slow go round all, all the way through. And I, I had this thought, I was like, hang on a second, this this just needs to be solved. And I mean, on the one hand, there's a potential I could just use the the laptop that I have for work. You know, it's not really much sort of stopping me there, but it kind of doesn't feel right. I can't necessarily install it full of stuff that i would want to have installed at home and that that mac is set up specifically for in the office and then on my own machine I, like i say, i can do whatever i want and even as much as uh I, i've i've not i've not upgraded the xcode version on on the work machine because we, we're not going through that just yet and there's an element of sort of keeping it where it is stable right now before taking that hit in the day to sort of upgrade and make sure the projects are all running correctly and that side of stuff. Um, and yet I've gone ahead on my own machine. So I knew that then my current project wouldn't necessarily work without updating the, the Xcode version on, on the work machine. So I had this whole sort of conundrum and I was like, yeah, okay, I just don't want to do that. I want to have my own machine that is set up exactly as, as I'm playing with it at home. And you know, that, that, that is its own self-contained thing. So I'm going to have to upgrade. And then I, I went through the whole logic of like, well, okay, an upgrade is going to cost. And I'm not necessarily keen on chucking down a load of money on the MacBook Pros as they are right now. Yeah, And especially not with a rumored <laughs> edge-to-edge 16-inch or something like that. You know, that yeah. would be a case of, right, well, okay, I'll do that now. And... Two months down the line, post dub dub, I might be sitting there going, "Why? Why did I get a machine at that point in time? I should have just held on." And there's also something about you almost have the same machine that you've got for work. It'd be a bit weird having two of the same thing. Yeah, kinda, kinda. Um, uh, yeah. So, and then there's that sort of element of like, well, okay, let's run the logic on this. What machine should I have, or could I get away with? And when I'm working at home, I work in one room in one spot. So I may as well have a desktop machine. And then, okay, let's let's run that logic again. Could I get away with one of the new Mac minis? Mm, the six core one? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Did a bit more research and, you know, kind of had a look through Twitter and saw how other devs are sort of getting on with those machines as well. So, yeah, okay, that that actually looks like that could be a good option just in terms of it, it then solving that specific problem that I've got. I don't care about having a really fast GPU. Uh, I don't even care about having lots of disk space. I can get away with a, a 256 um, SSD quite happily. So the stock setup of that um, six core Mac is absolutely ideal for me. It's got the right SSD size, eight gigs of RAM is a bit low, but probably fine to start off with. And then I can upgrade to 16 or 32 later on myself because you can with the new Mac minis. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. So that, that's appealing. I can go straight in on the stock version of the uh, device and then kind of see about giving it a bit more RAM later on, um, connect it up to an external drive for storing things like the podcast garage band files or any video or whatever that I'm editing. Yeah, okay, that works. That's cool. Can we afford it? Well, hmm, actually, we probably can because we've just brought across some some last bits of savings from the UK to New Zealand, and uh, we've we've kind of paid out for most of the expensive things now. And I ran this past Tabby, and she's like, 
well, yeah, go for it. Sort it out. Because this is something you're using regularly. So long story short, that's that's where I ended up sort of going, okay, yep, let's get the Mac Mini. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited, to be honest, just, just to have a, yeah. a newer machine, a faster machine. I mean, you know, plug it in, use it with the monitor, wire a keyboard up, well, connect over Bluetooth and all of that, and it's not going to look any different to what I'm using today, but it's when I hit compile and do all those things, uh, that's when I'm going to really feel the speed, I think. So can you break down the specs a bit on the CPU? What what have you got? An i5, you said? It's an i5, and it um, it runs uh, baseline at 3 gigahertz, and then I believe it bursts up to 4 point something. Yeah, that's going to be a nice upgrade, because what's your MacBook Pro? That's a dual core. It's a dual core, and it's at least a couple of generations back. I mean, what? It's it's 2013 model. So, oh, wow, yeah, that's going to be like loads of generations back then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, the machine I'm on at the moment, it's 2.4 gigahertz i5 from late 2013, dual core. The Mac Minis also have desktop class CPUs in them, though. They do now, yeah. Versus the sort of mobile lower wattage chips that you get in the, you know, in the in the MacBooks essentially. Yeah. So you're going to feel an upgrade there. Hopefully, you're going to feel an upgrade in terms of trebling your core count. Yep. You'll also feel an upgrade in terms of the you know the base frequency being higher. Yep. But yeah, you're going to feel this upgrade in a lot of ways. I would imagine. Yeah, and the um, SSD itself should be faster as well, and that should contribute a bit. Yeah, that's, yeah, because they're really quite fast, aren't they? Now the new SSDs, yeah, um, like seriously fast. So all of that combined, it should feel like quite a hefty upgrade. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be nice. Yeah, really nice. And what else has it got? Eight gig of RAM. You, yeah, like I say, I suppose you could just upgrade that as and when. You'll probably be fine with eight. I would have thought, wouldn't you, to start with? I, I think I will be to start with, and then I think probably within six months I'll have upgraded it. But yeah, I mean, th- this should feel like a pretty decent upgrade i think and and the point is as well as i've still got the 13 inch so if i need a laptop for sort of going out the house for any particular reason there is still that machine and yeah equally i've got the ipad as well uh, that covers me for a lot of my general kind of like non non uh, coding portability you know so if we're going away anywhere or whatever it's uh, it's probably not too bad to not be able to code when I'm on holiday <laughs> in that respect. <laughs> um, but I mean, in the, in the longer run, we're probably going to see something happen on, on the, uh, the iPad for X code as well. Maybe. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not too fussed about that. I'm, I'm certainly not buying a Mac on the basis that I can then, you know, use it in conjunction with my iPad in that way or anything like that. And not only that, you're going to have a machine now that's plugged in constantly. So you could look at doing things like running Plex servers or or, or anything that sort of server-based that needs to have a machine that's always on because yep. you, know, you, you could do that now. Yeah, I could even set up a build server as well. Absolutely could, yeah. That's one of the things I'm starting to miss actually from selling the iMac. That's the one one thing that's sort of niggling me more than I thought it might do um, is that I, that used to be my Plex server. Of course, right. the iMac just sits on a desk, just leave it on. I'm sure, the screen goes off and it will go to sleep if it hasn't been used in ages. But now I don't really have anything that is a Plex server unless I use my laptop and open the lid up and use that as a Plex server when I want to use Plex. But then that's just sort of clumsy. And, you know, I just want to be able to go to my Apple TV and it kind of behaves like Netflix and that the content's always there. Yep. And the iMac being on, serving that content, it basically gave that impression. It could have been coming from the cloud for all I knew. Um, it was that kind of that reliable and solid, which is good. So yeah, yeah, there's definite definite perks to what you say. And if you know, if this MacBook comes out and you're like, oh, I've got to get one of those. Well, you know, you, you can you can sell it, trade it in, cross that bridge when I come to it. I, I think my preference, yeah. to be honest with you, will be to probably run this machine for the next eighteen months, two years. And, right. and then kind of take a look at what's going on around about then. It depends if, if I suddenly start selling, you know, loads of copies of my apps and there's there's plenty of revenue there to sort of draw from, then I'll go in on a, an upgrade on a, a MacBook Pro quite quickly. 
you know, I'll be curious if we're going edge to edge or something like that, or there's arm-based machines, I'll definitely want to be taking part in that. At the point in which that happens, a Mac Mini as a, a build server, as an always-on machine to do those sort of things, it's still really, really useful. Yeah, it's going to maintain its value, isn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah, very much. And and we, we also run a Mac Mini as a machine for Tappy and the kids to use um, on the other side of the house in, in the um, other half of the living room. So there's also a case of, well, this would then replace that machine later on potentially as well there's a sort of circle of life kind of going on um, yeah that's true that's a good point yeah so I, i'm i'm i've always been keen on the mac mini because of that sort of versatility and and uh kind of you know it can slot in and be used for for all these other things after the fact as well so at the moment it gets me over this this speed bump or gets me to a speed bump as it were um above what i've got and yeah, future reuse, build server, a machine for the kids to use, uh, always on devices for Plex, that sort of stuff. Um, it's got all of that as well. So it, it really doesn't feel like a bad purchase at all. Whereas actually an iMac right now would have felt like a bad purchase to me because of it, it kind of being so tied around its screen, you know, running it headless or anything like that. It's not really going to be a thing I want to do with an iMac. And yeah. Yeah, and and then the 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 trade off overall in what I'd be paying extra for it, it it just didn't feel like the right equation for me. I can run the Mac Mini on the monitor I've got now, and again, just like the RAM, I'll probably look at upgrading the monitor over the next six months to a year because it is it's only an HD monitor; it's not great. Uh, Maybe go to four K. You thinking? Yeah, probably. And I'm already eyeing up the model that I want, uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that that can wait. I don't need to do that immediately, and and that's that's pretty cool. Kind of excited for you, actually. <laughs> it's been, kind of been a long time since I've had a new Mac. Um, coming up for five years, it's um, yeah, it's always nice getting a new Mac. I, it's always quite exciting because it's one of those things for me anyway that it doesn't happen that often. So when it does happen, it's like oh yeah, I'm getting a new Mac. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of kind of excited for you that you get that. Um, and I think from what you're going from to what you're going to like if you replaced your mac every 18 months or two years it'd be like yeah it's a bit faster next kind of thing but this is like you're going from something that's actually quite old now aren't you to yeah to what is essentially the latest model uh, that's going to be great kind of looking forward to that with the uh with this macbook if it ever actually materializes into a real product and ships because it would have been well i, I would hope it'd be a little bit quicker than the imac i was coming from um but it wouldn't be by that much i wouldn't think i mean the 2018 models only just surpassed it and that was because they managed to get six cores in there versus to four cores yeah but now i've almost i've almost gone backwards having sold the 2014 imac and going back to a 2010 macbook pro so any upgrade i make from this 2010 macbook pro is going to feel like like light years ahead yeah because <laughs> yeah whatever happens i'm buying a machine that is essentially a decade newer almost now so um that, that should be yeah, cool part of that is is just yeah you'll be regaining what you've what you formerly had right that's uh yeah and and some hopefully yeah um yeah i mean my hope is is that with the 2016 no, not 2016 the 2019 macbook this sort of edge to edge 16 inch um rumored one is that Maybe we might get a ten nanometer chip in it from Intel if they can, if they can pull it off. Yeah. Um, depends when they launch it. If they launch it in sort of WWDC and sort of do the whole and it's shipping this Friday or whatever, I suspect we might get fourteen. Um, I think the last I, I get so confused of Intel news and rumors and there's so many different chip names and I, I've kind of not been keeping up with it like I should do. Um, I think that the 10 nanometer chips for the laptops are going to be sort of shipping in Q4 this year. So if we get a, a dub dub kind of release, I think we're going to miss a 10 nanometer boat. Yeah. Which, you know, that's going to help on a lot of fronts, isn't it really? Cause it's going to, it paves the way for faster CPUs, but it also you can get like a, a payback in battery life as well, which would be quite nice. So I'll have to wait and see. Or they could just completely surprise us and bring out an ARM-based one, but I very, very much doubt that. Yeah, it doesn't really no. feel like that's happening this year. No. I think no, the rumour no, of 2020 no. is probably about right, and even that's that could end up being pushed out. Uh, yeah. 
and probably just the 12 inch would would that would be the product that gets it yeah i don't think it's going to be across the board overnight no i mean this that that 12 inch macbook is just begging for an arm cpu i think at this point but yeah i guess i'm hoping that we get a maybe get a 10 nanometer intel chip but i'm kind of prepared for the fact that it might be a 14 nanometer plus plus version because i think this would be like the second or possibly even more than that like iteration on the 14 nanometer process they've got at the minute yeah i mean Um, on the other side of it it's there's an element of like well it's tried and tested to a point you know you can't you're looking at a chip at the the at its prime i guess in terms of where it's 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 been around for for that technology has been around for a while and so it's uh yeah it's a known quantity whereas I, i always feel like first generation of stuff obviously you're going to kind of have that risk um, I don't know how much that logic really applies to to CPU chips and, and stuff from Intel, but um, yeah, I mean, given how long it's taken them to get ten nanometers out the gate, it does make you wonder, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So then there's also and another struggled. There's a point from Apple's point of view where maybe you know sticking around with the fourteen is fine, and it's a known quantity and it gets the speed that you you want. And, and with what they've got set up for the battery life, that's probably going to be all right as well, just in terms of how the operating system and everything else plays holistically as a device. And then when 10 nanometers yeah. comes in, they get to speed bump the machines, take all the benefits and, you know, reinvigorate the sales again six months, nine months, a year later or whenever that is. It does feel like the generation that's out now, as in like the one you've got and the 2016 one that came before it, kind of feels like that was designed with with 10 nanometer in mind but it just never actually materialized into a a, a chip yeah and that, i to me that's kind of like well that's probably what's forcing their hand in a way to do a redesign this year because it's not even been three years yet since the since they brought it out in 2016 so it was sort of like still on like two and a half ish years yeah and that's pretty soon to be getting strong rumors of a whole new redesign this year and if they do it at wwdc that would be less than three years that that generation of MacBook was, has been around for. Um, so it does make me wonder if yeah, the the delays that the 10 nanometer Intel chips have had, that's kind of forced Apple to be like, well, you know what? We can't continue in this chassis. We need to redesign the chassis and to sort of allow for the the extra cores, because now we're at six cores now, because it, it was the originally a, a quad until yeah. 2018, wasn't it? So, you know, those extra cores obviously pack more heat with them as well and they're still at 14 nanometers in a chassis that probably was designed for 10 nanometers really um so it does make you wonder if you know we are going to get 14 nanometers again and maybe maybe they'll redesign the cooling system or maybe make the chassis a bit thicker um i don't really feel there's much of a need to make the macbook pro as thin as it currently is no um and also with the 16 inch sort of being the big kind of battleship kind of uh, laptop they're positioning it as maybe it is okay for that one to be a bit thicker you know this is this is the big laptop this is you know the big powerful one therefore it's a bit thicker i'd be fine with that if they've sorted yeah, out the keyboards fine. in amongst all of that a lot of people oh, would be very to, happy <laughs> they've got to sort the keyboards out so badly that that was a driving one of the driving decisions as well as i was figuring out well do i want to try and you know increase my budget and go for a uh a touch bar 13 inch with the quad core or versus the, the Mac mini. And again, yeah. I thought, well, with the Mac mini, I, I can sort out my own keyboard. I'm not really worried about Apple's problem there with, with the, the keyboards in, in the MacBook pro. And it wasn't necessarily a driving decision. I think where I've come to in terms of, of speed and cost and everything else that is, is my driving decision making. But yeah, you know, being able to go, well, okay, I don't need to worry about the uh, the keyboard. That that's kind of been kind of cool with the, with the Mac Mini. It's it's going to be interesting to see how they resolve this kind of keyboard kind of fiasco, I guess, without kind of leaving egg on their face. It's almost like they need to come at it with more features, because then when you imagine them standing on stage and in their press materials, rather than being like, oh yeah, and we've got the third generation or fourth generation butterfly keyboard switches, and these are really great. Yeah, and no, no, they don't let the dust in, and they don't break after like six months. It's almost like they need to develop some kind of new f- keyboard-related feature and lead with that. Almost like if they made it water-resistant, mm-hmm. 
So like if you knocked a cup of coffee over your keyboard, it wouldn't matter. So we can say in you know, the new MacBook Pro keyboards are IP68, is it they call it, water resistant? Um, and then it can kind of be like, well, if they're water resistant, then that kind of means by definition they're dust resistant, which sort of squashes that whole problem in one swoop. Yeah. Um, so a little part of me is like, well, you know, maybe maybe that, that will be something they could do. Because um, that's a big problem with notebooks, isn't it? you've got all that money tied up in that kind of the base of the device. And if one cup of coffee goes over it, it's kind of like, well, that's, um, that's really bad. Yeah. That is so much money to sort of go up in smoke really just for having a cup of coffee get chucked over it. Whereas, you know, here, here at like an iMac or whatever, you check a cup of coffee over your keyboard. It's like, well, I'm, I'm out like 60 pounds for a new keyboard. Yeah. Not the end of the world. Versus the rest so, of the machine. Yeah. It, it's a point of failure. It's a huge point of failure, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, just kind of keeps something I keep circling back to when I think about what what this new MacBook might be. Maybe some kind of water resistance might be um, might be part of it, and then obviously that kind of allows them to get rid of this whole dust ingress problem um, as well. Because if you can keep water out, you can keep dust out, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, it's everything um, all in one go. There, I mean, I hope it's still a physical mechanism. There's there's been one or two rumours about the idea of. Uh, could it just be a touch and haptic based interface for the keyboard, which would be kind of radical. And I don't think we would see that this, this generation, I feel like maybe the touch bar might go there and offer some level of haptic feedback. Uh, Cause at the moment it, it doesn't. Does it not currently? I don't believe so. No, um, certainly okay. not on the machine that I've got. So, you know, if you end up with that sort of like, it gives you the feedback the same as the, um, the touchpad so that when you press buttons, you know, it feels like you're actually pressing something that, that would be cool for the touch bar. Uh, but the idea of having that across the board for the entire keyboard, that, that worries me slightly. I can see the benefits in terms of what it would give you for something that's a flexible interface. And then of course, you know, you don't need to worry about dust and water because it's a, just a, completely sealed surface apple pencil yeah all of that there could be some really cool stuff but part of me worries about the potential for rsi and and that side of stuff where you're not getting that that physical feedback and what that does to how you move the muscles at a micro level in your fingers as you type and then the idea of working on that you know eight hours a day or whatever five days a week um, I do worry that, that if we went to a technology like that immediately, could there be all these sort of longitudinal effects that don't bear out until you're a couple of machines later, you know, and you'll have a, a generation of people that are then feeling that sort of effect. So mm, I worry about that because the use of an iPhone or the use of an iPad doesn't compare in the same way. You're not using it um, all day, day in, day out in the same way as you use a keyboard on a, a development machine. So, yeah, yeah, That's a fair point. I'd, I'd be interested to see it. Uh, but like I say, I'd be also quite interested to sort of find out what the, uh, the potential pros or cons would be for sort of health and RSI. So and not only that, I kind of find that when I just use the Mac, it's kind of like I just place my hands on the keyboard and I do it all through feel. Yes. And I just look at the screen so there's going to need to be some kind of massive technological breakthrough there to kind of replicate just the slight feel of a key wobbling under the pressure of your thumb as you lay your thumb on it without pressing it. Because then you know I'm, my thumb's on a key. And yep. you can generally feel, if you know the shape of the key, what key you're on. That, that's, that's a huge hurdle to, to get over, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a whole other side for touch typing and for accessibility as well. You know, people... Yeah, I think... People Sorry, rely on that touch and that feedback for finding their place when they can't necessarily see the screen quite as well. Uh, you can blow the yeah, blow I, the screen up, but I wouldn't want a keyboard to blow itself up just so that I could see where where I'm at. Yeah, there was a, a thing, I think I mentioned it on the show once before, something about something called piezoelectronics, um, where you can sort of run current through a layer on top of the screen and then that can create sort of physical bumps. Um, but I don't know how effective that would be and how feasible that would be sort of manufacturer scale. Um, 
because then you could kind of get the feel of the keys underneath your finger while you're still actually touching a piece of glass. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's makes me well. I mean, I think with the touchpad, they've kind of gotten away with it, or not gotten away with it. They've done a really good job of it. Yeah. Um, whereby they've managed to completely simulate a click without it clicking. I think that's genius. It's so so good. That's brilliant. Um, but but you're not using it. You're not tapping it as many times as you would for typing text. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. That's the key to it. But no, I hope they can come out with something sort of keyboard related to because they've got to do something. This is really yeah. It feels like this is doing so much brand damage. It's unbelievable. Um, and the fact that that keyboard's in the MacBook Air as well, which is the one that's going to ship in serious quantity relative to the pros. Um, yeah, like I said at the time, it made me kind of think, oh well, they've put it in the air, so it must be all right. Um, but actually kind of anecdotal evidence that we're getting from some people on Twitter that, you know, a lot of them are running a lot of these in in like enterprise. Yeah. It's not it's not looking good, is it? No, where where you see that um it's that level of scale, isn't it? So they're seeing enough machines at that level running through their fleet to sort of find out what the the failure rate is. So I guess if those people are reporting it that that's probably that that you know early sign if you like versus what you would see sort of drip through from anecdotes from individual consumers did you see dhh on twitter um about it? a guy that i think he something to do with ruby on rails and oh, he yeah, also yeah. built Basecamp. he was saying that like 50 percent of or nearly 50 percent of the macbooks that they've got with their staff and everything have had the issue Wow. As in 2018 models. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. That's pretty, not good at all. Pretty, pretty damning, isn't it? Yeah. So, roll on Mac Mini and my own external keyboard for that, that I can replace or do whatever with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button. That will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, Also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFRpodcast and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads, that's RoboHeads spelt with a Z, and you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com, again that's RoboHeads spelt with a Z. How about you Dave? You can follow me online at DaveNot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore DaveNot.